Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of October 17th, including... Doug Ford reminding us what he really thinks about immigrants. Justin Trudeau urged to stop holding up the loot for Indigenous kids. The Dave Chappelle fallout. Restwell, Colin Powell and plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, in the words of former MP Selena Caesar Chavan, who the fuck you think you're talking to, motherfucker? <laughs> That's what went through my head upon hearing Doug Ford's deeply xenophobic, deeply racist remarks last week about immigrants and effectively people of color. If you haven't heard yet, last Monday, Dougie was in Tecumseh near Windsor to announce $9 million for an acute care hospital there when he made a familiar plea for more skilled labor to address our shortage. As Toronto Star race and gender columnist Sri Parakdar points out, what Ford needed to say was, quote, we desperately need you, please help us, end quote. Instead, trash came out of his mouth as the following. Beer trash. Beer trash. Quote, you come here like every other new Canadian, you work your tail off. If you think you're coming to collect the dole and sit around, it's not going to happen. Go somewhere else, end quote. Don Cherry, anyone? Anyway, <laughs> reaction was swift. OSBCU, a union representing about 55,000 QP workers, said, quote, tell us you support white supremacy without saying you support white supremacy. <laughs> Doug Ford went first. This is our Ontario, folks. It must end. A full retraction and apology is mandatory, end quote. Andrea Horvath, for her part, said, Doug Ford chose to traffic in demeaning stereotypes about new Ontarians looking to build a better life for their families. He should apologize. But we've been here before. This is who he is. Our diverse, welcoming province deserves better. Ontario Liberal leader Del Duca had a similar statement saying this kind of divisive language is deeply disappointing. A premier is supposed to unite Ontarians, not wedge us further apart. And as a son of immigrants, he says, I know firsthand how people like my parents helped build Ontario up. Doug Ford should apologize for his callous comments. Uh, Green leader Mike Schreiner had something similar to say as well. For the premier to use this kind of language is reprehensible. Immigrants work hard and make vital contributions to our province. To suggest otherwise is inexcusable and only divides people. And you know what? I actually thought that that was probably the best quote of the three political leaders. The irony is that we know immigrants are hard workers, right? In fact, various data sources have been consistently telling us this. Yep. For example, one of the most important studies of the economic impact of immigration to Canada is Morton Baser's Strangers at the Gate. Mm-hmm. This study looked at the arrival of the Vietnamese boat people who began to arrive in Canada in 1979 despite racist pushback. The total number of refugees at that time was 60,000, the largest single group of refugees to ever arrive in Canada. Within 10 years, patients, 
The boat people had an unemployment rate of 2.3% lower than the Canadian average. Yep. One in five had started a business. 99% had successfully applied to become Canadian citizens. And they were considerably less likely than average to receive some form of social assistance. Right. And again, this is generally the case across the board. Immigrants and their offspring deserve respect. Put it on our names. Yeah. What do you think, Patience? That's wild. Like, it's it's wild that this is happening or this is coming up right now. What has changed? We have always been overworked, underpaid, underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Why do you go to Tecumseh, where I guess there's a lower rate of, of immigrants, and just start bashing us, fam? And then you come back to Toronto, and we're the ones that put you in your seat. We have to remember that Doug Ford is the MPP for Etobicoke North. Over 50% of the residents of Etobicoke North were not born in this country. Why are you talking so much smack? It's wild. It's, yeah. I mean, but we're not surprised, right? No surprise. No surprise. And there was no surprise that he decided not to retract the statement either because it's very clear who he's trying to speak to, right? He, he obviously does not mind the backlash that he's receiving because he's encouraging his own base, which he obviously needs to activate six months from now in the election. So activate your own base, but what if you lose your seat, fam? Well, well he hasn't lost it to date, has he? I don't, like, yeah, I don't think that's a, yeah. it's not, not a relevant argument, unfortunately, right? People aren't paying attention. People are not paying attention. Well, jumping to our next political story, which isn't that much better. Last week, Prime Minister Trudeau visited the Tekemloops to Sekwekmek First Nation, a move to make up for the intense backlash to his Tofino trip on the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. The PM had said that he has many regrets about traveling on that day and that he took an opportunity to apologize to Chief Casimir of Sekwekmek First Nation in person for not having been in the community on September 30th. This is Trudeau saying now, quote, instead of talking about truth and reconciliation, people talked about me, and that's on me. I take full responsibility for that, end quote. To Kemloops, the Sekwekmek First Nation chief, Roseanne Casimir, reprimanded Justin during his visit to her community on Monday, saying his visit was, quote, bittersweet, end quote, because, quote, when we imagined welcoming Prime Minister Trudeau to our community, it was envisioned that it would be an opportunity for him to interact with a wide array of survivors, intergenerational survivors, and many different First Nations as part of the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, Mm. end quote. Mm. Instead, as she points out, she learned through the media that Trudeau was in Tofino. And as she points out, quote, the shock and sorrow and disbelief was palpable in our community. Today is about making some positive steps forward and rectifying a mistake, end quote. And I hear that. Speaking of mistakes... Representatives of the Canadian Bar Association are urging the federal government to stop holding up loot destined for Indigenous youth and their families. The legal folk over at the Canadian Bar Association, who are particularly devoted to Indigenous youth and human rights law, sent a letter to Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller and Justice Minister David Lametti asking them to avoid, quote, perpetuating further harm by continuing to challenge CHRT rulings in this matter, end quote. And I agree. For context, a federal court recently made the great decision, the great decision, to uphold the findings from the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, otherwise known as the CHRT, related to two orders that affect Indigenous children. In 2019, the CHRT found that Ottawa had discriminated against Indigenous children on reserves by failing to provide funding for child and family services. 
in the tribunal's ruling, it ordered the government to provide up to 40K, 40 big ones to each indigenous child unnecessarily taken into care on December 1, 2006 or later. Wow. And said its order also covered parents or grandparents of children denied essential services too. A second tribunal decision made last year widened the scope of what's called Jordan's Principle, a rule that says when governments disagree about who was responsible for providing services to an Indigenous child, they put that aside for the moment and prioritize helping the child. Ottawa sought judicial review of CHRT findings, but Justice Paul Favell upheld both tribunal decisions on September 29th. Miller's office says Canada is reviewing the decision and that a decision is coming soon. It better be the one that gives them the money. Right. Political reaction. NDP MP Charlie Angus, who has been outspoken throughout the CHRT case, told The Globe, quote, the ruling was damning and threw out every single one of the government's arguments. Mm. They need to do the right thing. That's it. End of story. And I feel that energy wholeheartedly, Charlie. Me too. <laughs> the cons? Conservative Jamie Schmale said in a a statement Tuesday that the Liberal government has spent years on this, quote, shameful court battle, end quote, and that reconciliation must be achieved in partnership with communities. But from my perspective, they ain't got no credibility on this issue. Like your policies favor white supremacy. Shut up. All right. Out of here. Cindy Blackstock, the executive director of the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society of Canada, said, It's time for Ottawa to put the sword down. I agree with that too. For the record, Minister Miller has said before that his department is moving forward on a compensation model for Indigenous people affected by the CHRT order. He has also said that private discussions are ongoing related to two class action lawsuits that deal with that compensation. And he and Cabinet have until October 29th to make their final decision. Few days. Few days. It's great that this is getting some national attention. $40,000 is a lot of money to be owed. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you better run that. Run them their money. Yeah. like, And it's important to point out, too. I mean, I kind of alluded to it in the um, script. But what the government has said is that it's not that they're against paying out the money. They just don't think that they should be forced to pay it out. I don't, even, I don't even think they're against the 40000 They might be. But it's more so that they're being compelled to do it in a certain time frame that isn't conducive to their agenda. We are looking forward to seeing what Mr. Miller comes out with if it's not that 40,000. Moving on to blackity black black news this week. Uh, you know, I, I have been avoiding discussing Dave Chappelle and this whole Netflix debacle because it, it really wasn't about blackness. It was about Dave Chappelle. But recently, I think Chappelle and and everyone involved in this has been making this about blackness. So let's start from the beginning. For a few years now, Dave Chappelle has been making stand-up comedy specials for Netflix. And they have been getting more hurtful and more harmful to the trans community in particular, but to the LGBTQ plus community in general. It got even worse in his most recent Netflix special, The Closer. In response to the closer, a group of Netflix's LGBTQ plus members and allies have been calling for the company to end their relationship or partnership with Chappelle and Netflix has refused. According to one of the advocates, Tara Field, who's actually a senior software engineer at Netflix, quote, promoting trans-exclusionary radical feminist ideology, which is what we did by giving it a platform yesterday, directly harms trans people. It is not some neutral act, end quote. But here's the thing. This is kind of Netflix's strategy to offer content without any 
or, or much editorial supervision. And it is what has made the company a huge success. Intervening in Chappelle's special would be a precedent-setting decision. But then we should also remember that this isn't the first time the star of a comedy show or special has come under fire for their vitriol, for their harmful words. The most extreme example is when ABC canceled its sitcom Roseanne in 2018 after Roseanne Barr went crazy racist (laughs) on a Twitter rant. The show went on to return as The Connors, despite being one of the most popular and highly rated programs on TV at the time. And let's also remember the less popular Kramer. Remember how quickly the world joined together and slammed the door on his career (laughs) after he dared to utter the N-word in a stand-up performance? I remember it was Swift and I haven't heard of the guy since. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to Roseanne. So if it were up to Netflix and not ABC, would Netflix have pulled Roseanne off the air? It's unclear. Personally, I, I doubt it. At the beginning, I said that Dave made this a black issue. For those of you who watched The Closer, I want to remind you of a joke that he made about Baby. In The Closer, Dave Chappelle says that Baby shot a man, a black man, in Walmart, and nothing happened to him. Shot and killed a man in Walmart, nothing happens. He didn't lose any endorsements. He didn't get canceled from any shows. Everything is completely status quo. However, when Baby spreads incorrect harmful language about the LGBTQ plus community, it's all over for him. He loses everything. This is Dave Chappelle drawing attention or perhaps even foreshadowing what is about to happen to him. Basically saying that you can be a killer, you can literally take lives, murder people, and it's no problem. We watch tons of murderers on Netflix and it's no problem. However, Still, according to the Netflix employees who are calling for the special's removal, this special puts trans lives at risk and puts real people in harm's way. Now, this is what the Netflix employees are saying, but Netflix doesn't seem to be super clear on whether they agree with that or not. In an all-staff email sent out last week, Ted Sarandos, Netflix's co-CEO, said that he did not believe trans people were in danger because of Chappelle's comedy. He later corrected himself, though, and told Variety, quote, of course, storytelling has real impact in the real world, end quote, and that he could have been clearer in the all staff email he sent out. He has yet to be clearer. So what's going to happen? I'm really invested in this decision. Dave is talking about power. And what is happening right now is, again, about power. Netflix spent a reported 24.1 milli. $24.1 million on the closer. Mm -hmm. But does Netflix care or consider the value of people's lives and livelihoods? I don't know. Just to be clear, let's not confuse anything. What Dave Chappelle said was harmful, was hurtful. And this decision about removing him from Netflix is precedent setting. So I'm intrigued. What about you, Curtis? Yeah. um, I mean, like you, this is something that I... I haven't been um, as interested in just talking about because, I mean, the reality is is, is that it does have real world effects mm-hmm. for people, for trans people in particular, and people uh, in the LGBTQ2 community more broadly. On the flip side, patience. I have watched Dave Chappelle's shows over the years. I've come from loving him on the Chappelle show. I mean, me and my friends would die of laughter, repeat his skits, all that mm-hmm. when we were kids. Mm-hmm. 
to, you know, personally coming of age and realizing that a lot of this stuff weren't, it wasn't very tasteful. Right. It, it was reflective of the times, but it wasn't actually that tasteful. Right. Now I say that to say that, um, I don't remember if it's the last Netflix special that I watched from him, but I, I do remember that watching the Netflix specials, um, I did it reluctantly just to understand what was happening. Me too. Yeah. And I remember, you know, basically saying, okay, yeah, there was some funny stuff, but honestly, this is, this isn't great content. This is just violent content. Right. 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 It's, it's just not good content. I have to say though, patients, I did not feel this way this time. Mm, interesting. And by the way, I watched it with one of my gay friends who also loved it. Mm. I thought he did a, a a very good job of underlining the discrepancies that exist in society. Yeah. Um, while I may not necessarily, you know, you, you mentioned that Dave and others are trying to make this about blackness. And I, I'm still not sure where I am on that particular point yet. But he made some very good points. I mean, the baby was one of them. And he brought up others in the in the special, right? right. So I actually think he did a very good job of, of bringing the topic to the fore. I think he did it. I don't know. I was going to say he did it in a respectful way. But obviously, he's a comedian. And there were some bad jokes. So I don't know. I certainly don't see most people angry about this. I see most people agreeing with him. So it's like, for me, I, I don't want to engage too much acknowledging that this is hurtful to many people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there are many people who agree with him. So I, it, it's not my topic. I just kind of stay out. I am trying not to make this about how harmful the language is because I I know that the language is harmful. I, I, I can't speak to how to the extent of of the harm. Mm -hmm. But what I think is really going to, to be fundamental is how Netflix moves from here because like it, it has, I, I, I'd never heard from Netflix's co-CEO before this, like they're making public statements, they're defending their content and this, it could go either way. And I, so someone who I used to work with has always said there's no hierarchy of oppression, right? But there's something to be said about the Netflix CEOs standing behind Dave. There's something there's something happening here that I think is intriguing to to watch and um you know the the LGBTQ plus community has a lot of support and has a lot of power. So I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah, and and that's literally what Dave was trying to <laughs> speak to and they have outsized power than other minority groups or yep, marginalized yep. groups and i don't i don't know if people see how ironic it is that this is happening right now hmm. he literally talked about this in the special and then like there's anger about what he talked about in this like, it's like whoa like people are missing he, things yeah like, like everybody is said this would happen yeah like, everybody's jumping on what they want to jump on without looking at the whole picture and and again that's one of the reasons why i I don't like talking about it with most people because that's what they do if people are thoughtful about it i i think most people would again maybe i'm wrong here i don't think i'm wrong though i think most people would say that what dave Chappelle said was reasonable right and things can be I think I think things can be reasonable and harmful at the same time. That's true. That's yeah. that's exactly true. Um, yeah. And we're, you know we're kind of going to jump into another story that kind of reflects that dichotomy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to. I don't, do you remember? Because I don't know. We don't have to include this, by the way. I just wanted to kind of talk on this subject. 
Yeah. Remember the 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 that 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 show? I don't remember what it was called, but the, like there was like the literally porno on Netflix, the kid porno thing. Yes. Like so. Yes. Again, I don't know how um, that worked out. I I didn't follow it, but I don't. I also, I was talking again with my gay friend. I don't think the backlash then was as strong as it is now. I don't think they took it off. So again, I think it was it was considered to be like artistic and that was fucking problematic so yeah um again we talked about that yeah right so i i'm not i'm just not willing to come out against dave Chappelle. not not today that that's a really interesting example yeah yeah i forgot about that one. spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine with the weather warming up it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a pilates class or outdoor guided walk Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Moving on to another story, Curtis and I are going to give our observations from um, from, from this story. But um, this week, Colin Powell died and the black media stayed pretty quiet, if you ask me. Hmm. Curtis, if you'll allow me, I want to talk about how Colin Powell and and other Black Republican trailblazers don't get the same praise following their death. In fact, in in certain parts of the media, their deaths are normally met with complete silence. Hmm. These people present a bit of a conundrum for us, Mm -hmm, I guess. mm -hmm. We love that Black people have achieved success and have become these incredible things. For Colin Powell, we're proud of him for being the first Black national security advisor and the first Black secretary of state and the first Black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But we're less proud of kind of what he did when he was there. Mm -hmm. Powell oversaw, cough, (coughs) I'm sorry, (coughs) started the Iraq war, according to some. Nah, that was nah. He didn't start it. He had a strong role in it, but that was that was. Um, I'm even forgetting his name now. What's his name again? Fucking the VP. Daddy Bush. No, no. Cheney. Cheney, man. It's it's all been Cheney. (laughs) Under Daddy Bush, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he oversaw the Gulf War, known as quote one of the most concentrated attacks on an entire society in modern warfare by University of Texas professor Robert Jensen. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the Iraq War and in the case of the Gulf War, Jensen said that these wars constituted, quote, war crimes under the Geneva Conventions, end quote. Still, Powell was a pathbreaker. Beginning with his 35 years in the army, Mr. Powell was emblematic of the ability of minorities to use the military as a ladder of opportunity. Curtis, I know this is something that you can speak to, relate to. 100%. And his was a classic, classic American success story. Mm-hmm. Born in Harlem uh, to, to Jamaican parents. He grew up in the South Bronx and graduated from the City College of New York. He joined the army through the ROTC, starting as a young second lieutenant commissioned in the dawn of a new desegregated army, right? You have to remember, mm-hmm. I, think, I think people forget that the army was segregated 
for more than half of America's history. Served two decorated combat tours in Vietnam and later served under Reagan, served under both Bushs, and was helping to negotiate arms treaties in an era of cooperation with the Soviet Union. Once retired, he was known as an independent and was actually approached by both the Democrats and the Republicans to run as their presidential contenders. Black media in, in the U.S. and in Canada has been pretty quiet about Colin Powell. And, and I, I think that, that we're, we're equally proud and a little bit uncomfortable with, with what Colin Powell presents and what his legacy will, will do for us as Black people. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, before this episode, I'm happy that you, um, you spoke to General Powell because I was going to bring him up myself. And I actually just, I, I wrote a little statement uh, to reflect his passing. Uh, so I'll just, I'll kind of just touch on it if you don't mind. Yeah. General Colin Luther Powell, he was the first black U.S. Secretary of State, as you've already pointed out. Um, A son of Jamaica, General Powell's service in the U.S. military was one of distinction and led to him being chairman of the Joint Chiefs, which is, you know, for those who don't know, that's effectively making him general of the U.S. military. A Jamaican man was the general of the U.S. military, the strongest military in the world. Hmm. But I acknowledge that for all of his accomplishments, he also caused a lot of pain. And here are some examples. I don't like that he lied to Americans in the world about weapons of mass destruction being in Iraq, which led to 306,000 dead Iraqis through Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, I don't like that he encouraged and defended the 1968 My Lai Massacre as an advisor in Vietnam, leading to the death of 347 Vietnamese. I don't like that he orchestrated the 1989 U.S. invasion of Panama, destroying whole neighborhoods. I don't like that he played a strong role in the war on drugs in the global south, nor do I like that he led the 1991 Gulf War against Iraq, leading to the deaths of 100,000 Iraqis. But I did respect his deep commitment and support for those facing racial and religious persecution in the U.S. and around the world. What do I mean? I remember a time when conspiracy theories were swirling heavily around then-Senator Barack Obama, and suspicions of Muslims was at a high point, maybe even more than today. Rather than remain silent, though, to attacks on Barack Obama that may very well have prevented him from securing the presidency, General Powell, as a prominent and well-respected Republican, took the opportunity to get to the heart of the matter in only a way he could. When he was asked live on air about, I think it was uh, 60 Minutes, like he was was watched by many, right? Mm -hmm. Asked live on air about Obama's faith, Powell said, quote, the correct answer is, he is not a Muslim, he's a Christian. But the really right answer is, what if he is a Muslim? Right. Is there something wrong with being a Muslim in this country? Exactly. The answer is no. That's not America. Is there something wrong with some seven-year-old Muslim American kid believing that he or she could be president? No. And that's who Colin Powell was. He understood the value of pluralism and respect for others and tried to bring his own life, career, and public statements in line with such ideals. So fundamentally, it's a shame that COVID took his life. I would have loved to meet him. May he rest in peace. Curtis, I have a question for you. How was Colin Powell received, understood, known in Jamaica? Do people recognize him as a Jamaican? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I've never... Mm. I've, I've actually never looked at him before today through that prism. Like, okay, obviously he's, I've, I've acknowledged him as a Jamaican from way back, obviously, but like, I've always looked at him as a Amer- as an American. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. What I do I, know I think, though yeah. is that um, you know Jamaican high society of absolutely they're paying respects. I mean the the prime minister, members of government, etc., were at the U.S. embassy this week to pay respects for mm. him. Um, yeah. The prime minister of Jamaica, Andrew Holness, pointed out that he's had numerous conversations and meetings with General Powell over time, talking about. Uh, U.S.-Jamaica relations, for example. So, you know, obviously he still has roots in his home country and he was respected there, but I just don't know to the to the extent. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I find, like, going back to, to, to my story, is that, like, Jamaicans are quick to claim people. You know what I mean? Mm. Even if, like, even if you're, like, your grandfather was a Jamaican, like, Jamaicans will... You know, yeah, he's you don't you don't know he's Jamaican, like you don't know that he comes from us, that he's one of us, mm. and and I, I haven't seen that much from of that uh, about Colin Powell, mm-hmm. um, and uh, again, like I think that we should be able to accept that you know black people are not always going to want to do what what the rest of us want them to do, <laughs> one of which is being a Republican, right? Mm-hmm. But we can still be proud of the the representation and be proud of you know the the moves that he did make um, while, while he was, you know, on, on, on this planet. Uh, and I think, um, you, you know, you spoke to his international career and international legacy mm-hmm. and how it was different than the things that he did domestically. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. Jumping to questions for the audience. Alberta's two biggest cities made history last week by electing its first female mayor in Calgary and its first BIPOC mayor in Edmonton. Both are of Indian descent. While former federal minister Amarjeet Sohi has been elected as the mayor of Edmonton, Jyoti Gundek will become Calgary's first female mayor. Jyoti was born in Britain to Punjabi parents who came to Britain from Punjab. Her family moved to Canada when she was four. I have numerous friends from Punjab. That's interesting. Punjab-born Sohi was earlier Minister of Natural Resources and Minister of Infrastructure and Communities in Prime Minister Trudeau's cabinet uh, before losing his seat in 2019. Before that, he was a transit operator with Edmonton Transit, and we offer our sincere congrats to them both. Today's question is, how close do you think we are to Toronto electing its first BIPOC mayor? By the way, we've already had a first female mayor in the 60s. You just listened to episode 73 of The Trip. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also check us out on Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. And we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.